Every teaching in the Bible, every parable, every promise is a root. It is a root that has been planted by God to secure us to Christ. And that is what this podcast is all about. It's about examining God's word that we may encourage you to know God and be rooted in him alone. In these episodes, we talk about scripture, we talk about culture, we talk about Christian living. But the one thing that we want to encourage you vehemently to do is to seek out truth for yourself. Go to the Bible, read the text, pray that God might open your eyes to see him for who he really is. Let your maker root you to himself. But first, I want to introduce one of my greatest friends on the planet, the pun crafting, big laughing, Jesus loving sinner from Michigan. It is Israel David Healy. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks so much um, for texting me and setting this up. And uh, I'm really glad we got to reschedule a bunch of times and then, <laughs> and then make it happen. I'm excited too. And I, I want to open up the space for you right now. I know a lot of podcasts I listen to um, have too many people catching up for too long. We can catch up off the air, but I want to open up the space for you right now to get started on what you're teaching for this episode. I'm unbelievably excited to have this conversation. I'm just really excited um, to engage with you. And Lord willing, we will glorify him by having a conversation that edifies and encourages the folks that are listening right now. So take it away. Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's the goal of of everything we should be doing is, is obviously glorifying him. Yep. Um, and something I've been doing, um, I'm a law student and I'm, a, I'm the Bible study chair at the Christian Legal Society. Um, so I've been going through a Bible study, as is my job. Um, but we've been going through something called the, the New City Catechism. Um, and so kind of setting up and preparing for that, I, I just started listening to a bunch of sermons and reading a bunch of articles about what's so important about systemized theology. Um, and from that and before that, Scripture uh, and how we how we intensely study that so we can know the will of God. Um, and yeah, I think foundationally, even before that, um, my favorite form of worship is study. That's something the Lord obviously has kind of crafted in me, making me go through several years of education and academics. And um, I enjoy it to my chagrin. Um, but I, I, so like in preparation for this, I was listening to some sermons by like Paul Washer, who's, who's a favorite of mine. And, mm. Um, Sproul and, and uh, Tim Keller. I was reading some articles from him too. Um, so just kind of his background, I was kind of want to go through some context um, and then I'll, then I'll kind of jump into some of the talking points I had. Um, so kind of the main line of this or a couple of the main lines was that um, number one, the more you know about God, the more you will love him. Um, God is, is altogether loving um, and lovable because we're humans crafted in his image. We're made to love him. Um, obviously that statement is true for Christians primarily. I think Paul obviously draws a line between people who, the more they know about God, the more they reject him. Um, and, and those who are, are unrepentant. Um, but for those of us who've, who have repented and have been redeemed and have the spirit of God in us, that spirit is drawn to him by the more knowledge we have of him. Um, so that's kind of the, the one route. The other one is, is kind of against that pithy saying where it's, you know, this is not a religion, it's a relationship. Um, or I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Um, or, you know, that, that kind of uh, pithy saying. And, and like, those can be addicting because they, they kind of sum up big thoughts into small words. Yeah. Um, and those are, those are great sometimes. Um, but I think, and I think scripture says that um, Christianity is both a religion and a relationship. And it's really important that we cultivate both. Um, 
I think primarily that relationship is cultivated by our religion um, and that religion being worship, the study of scripture, prayer, and these things that God has told us to do and how to be closer to him. Um, so that's kind of the heart of, of what I wanted to talk through. Um, and then just some, you know, talking points from these guys. Um, so, I mean, the first quote was from Paul Washer. The second one, um, Sproul says in one of his messages that loving God with all of our minds means to pursue the knowledge of God. Um, but like, where do we access that knowledge from? We access it through scripture and theology um, and years and millennia of wise men and councils before us telling us how to contextualize this, how to apply it to our lives. Um, and the spirit obviously plays an integral role in that, but so too does the church. And um, I think it's really important that we can, you know, in, in Newton's words, stand on the shoulders of giants um, before us, and not necessarily in physics, but in theology. Um, and studying that has really edified my walk in a, in a lot of ways. Um, and then Tim Keller, the, the guy, um, for he's done many other things, but he helped write the New City Catechism based on the Westminster Confession. He quoted J.I. Packer in, in this quote. Um, it says, because we have lost the practices of catechisms, and then I added also the study of theology in general, superficial smatterings of truth, blurry notions about God and godliness and thoughtlessness about the issues of living career-wise, community-wise, family-wise, and church-wise are all too often the marks of evangelical congregations today. Um, I think that's so true, especially among our generation. Mm -hmm. um, and so often how we deconstruct our faith even going so far as to apostatize, so much of that is not the fault of scripture, but it's a fault of a lack of studying it, finding it to be good, um, and really pursuing the goodness in it and how we relate to God. Yeah, it's, that's, those are just kind of some summary points about it. Because and it's then, like, sorry, not to cut you off, mm -hmm. but it's like easy and it feels better in our flesh to say what God is because to reckon with who God really is in our fallen human flesh is hard. It's very difficult. And I think about Megan, uh, my fiance, we were going to get married very soon. And early on in our relationship, we were having a conversation about what was our favorite season in the year. And I had this idea of her and who she was. And I was just kind of building this image of her in my mind that she really liked being cozy. She liked winters. She liked snow. She liked blankets and hot chocolate. I didn't even ask her. So we were just having this conversation of like, oh, what's your favorite season? What do you think my favorite season is? And I was like, I think your favorite season is winter. She goes, what the heck? It's <laughs> totally not. It's absolutely not. And knowing her now for two years, I have seen her in winter and how bogged down she gets by a, a not sunny sky. Mm -hmm. And I look back, I'm like, <laughs> I just thought that. I just mm -hmm. thought like, oh, this is probably what she's like. And I like to think of her in this way. And this is what is true. And she was like, kind of offended. She was like, you don't know me. Mm. And in the same way we were at a, we were at a bookstore, like maybe, you know, six months into our relationship. She asked me, have you, have you ever seen any Hayao uh, Miyazaki films? I was like, yeah, Kiki's delivery service is the only one I've ever seen. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> a couple weeks go down the line. We were at the same bookstore, see mm. the same thing. And she was like, oh, you haven't seen any Miyazaki films, have you? And I was like, I've seen Kiki's delivery service. I told you that last time. She was like, oh yeah, yeah. It happened again, like a month later at a Barnes and Noble. <laughs> and I was really hurt. I was like, I've told you that I've done this and I'm hurt that you don't know me. And in the same way, I think we need to be very careful about how we see God because in, some, in something as small as whether or not I've seen a movie, 
I felt offense that I had revealed myself to her in that way. Hey, this is part of me. This is who I am. And when she didn't remember or didn't seem to care to remember, I was like, that's not who I am. And I feel kind of hurt that you didn't make that a, a priority. Yeah. So, and I know God isn't like me. I don't want to draw too many like <laughs> parallels between me and the Lord. But I think it's important for us to remember just to, before we get into this, let's just know God. And let's not, let's get rid of everything in our brain that we think God likes winter best. Let's just get that out of our brain and then just go to the Bible and see who he really is. Because I feel like he is most loved that way in the same way that I'm most loved when Megan remembers what movies I've seen. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, even that same vein, so often we think of God like us. Um, like we try to put, you know, our standards, what we think is good, what we think might be just or loving on God. Um, I don't think that's like a, I don't think that's a necessarily evil tendency. I mean, we are made in God's image. Um, you know, we have, we have similar traits about us that we're relational, that we're loving, that we pursue truth. Like these are true. Um, but I mean, Ezekiel says, I think five or six times in it, it repeats a phrase where it says, but God is not like a man. And like, that's so true. Like, I mean, not in the sense of maybe Muslim theology, that God is so transcendent that we can't know his properties or traits but that God is separate from us in a real good way, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's not temperamental. Um, and in Ezekiel, the context is that, you know, he doesn't hold grudges or become inflamed in anger like we do. Like God is steadfast and faithful and unchanging. And like, those are traits about God that we wouldn't necessarily know just from natural revelation. We have to know from, from God's revelation about what he says about himself. Which is, yeah, like you said, it's why it's so important. How we love God is, is how we worship him. And how we worship him stems from what we know about him. Um, and we get that from scripture. So, yeah, definitely. So just some, I'm a, I studied philosophy, so I really like defining my terms up front. Um, so I'm going to be using like religion and theology as kind of two big points. Why they're similar, what necessarily is different, kind of order of operations. So the word religion is used more than twice, but at least twice in the New Testament. It's pronounced thrace kia. So thrace kia, it's translated as reverence or worship of gods or God specifically. Paul uses it to kind of separate worship of angels between worship of God in Colossians. But uh, so the two verses I picked out about religion were just to kind of show an example of how it's used in scripture. So James 1, 26 and 27 is the first one. So it says, if anybody thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. First, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions. And second, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, so that's, you know, it's really cool. Those are practical applications from James, like obviously really specific caring for orphans and widows, um, but also to keep yourself separate. But what he doesn't say in there and what's kind of intuited from that is, I mean, yes, we're supposed to keep ourselves unstained from the world, but we're supposed to grasp to Christ and grasp to the goodness and theology um, that God has told us about himself. Yeah, and, and I think Luke 6, uh, 45 doesn't mention religion, but it kind of helps explain that James passage. And it says, for out of the abundance of the heart, man's mouth speaks. That's what Christ says. So we're supposed to be filling ourselves not with things of the world, but with what God says about himself. Secondly, uh, Colossians 2.18 says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, 
going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. So, and worship there of angels. Worship is that same word, religion. Um, So our religion is how we worship God. It's how we praise God um, or how we wrongly worship other things. So whatever your religion is, that's what flows from your heart. That's what you worship. That's what you cling to. And then secondly, theology. Uh, It's a combination of two Greek words, um, theos meaning God and logos meaning word. So it is, it is the words about God that we study. It's the study of those words. And then this was a quote from crossway.com. They do a lot of kind of cool articles. It says, the study of theology is an effort to make definitive statements about God and his implications in an accurate, coherent, relevant way based on God's self-revelations. Um, so that last part is obviously really important. Our theology is built on not just things we think about God that might be related to ourself. It's based on what God says about himself to us. Um, I want you to read that. I want you to read that again after I read one of the verses that I pulled up concerning this podcast when I was doing a bit of prep work. And you might even talk about this verse later on, but John 17, three, what is eternal life? Basically, that's what this verse is answering. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Bible says it there, folks. Eternal life is knowledge. Eternal life is knowing the only true God. And I want you to read that crossway quote again, thinking about it in light of what scripture just said about what is eternal life. Definitely. It says the study of theology is an effort to make definitive statements about God and his implications in an accurate, coherent, relevant way based on God's self-revelations. Sounds a lot like knowing the only true God. So theology is a very, very good thing. And I think personally, I bristle Sometimes when I'm having conversations with my Christian friends that are like, oh, I don't, I don't even need all that theology stuff. Like, don't talk to me about theology. Talk to me about God. And I'm like, theology is the study of God. So to say, oh, I don't need any of that theology stuff. I mean, you'd be disagreeing with what the Bible says about what eternal life is. Yeah, definitely. Um, And then kind of a a passage following up kind of what theology means and in that exact same vein. It's John 4. It's a different verse in John. It's about the woman at the well. Um, And in her kind of deflective statement to Jesus after he just revealed her whole life to her, she asked uh, where they should worship her, uh, her group of Sumerians or Samaritans, and then Jews worshiped at different places. Samaritans obviously were kind of outcasted from the Jewish tradition. Um, So they had theological arguments, like deep theological arguments about where it was right to worship. So in answer, Christ, you know, graciously answers her. It says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, speaking about Jews. Um, For salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Um, so there's a couple implications from that in regards to theology. Number one, he like answers a theological answer. Um, like that's a really definitive statement about himself, um, that salvation is from the Jews. And that, that's got to be a reference back to all of Jewish tradition in the Old Testament telling where salvation is going to come from. It's from the Israelites. It's about Jesus. Um, so that's like, that's not just kind of a general thing like the Jews have salvation. No, it's like salvation comes from the line of David in the Israelites, in the Jewish tradition. And we know who we worship because we have scripture, but you don't know who you worship. And just some background, Samaritans would kind of pick and choose and had um, 
kind of changed a lot of the Old Testament to fit some of their beliefs. And so that's what he's saying. You worship what you don't know. Um, so the difference between that is spirit and truth where God is spirit. So a lot of what we know about him without scripture is ephemeral. It's, it's kind of mixed up in a lot of spirit and, and confusion, but when God self reveals himself to us, that's when we can start worshiping in both spirit and truth. Um, and how many Christians like nowadays are worshiping a God that they don't know? They're worshiping a gospel that does not save. They're worshiping a Jesus who is not in the New Testament. Um, one of my favorite documentaries of all time, American Gospel, tackles the prosperity mm-hmm. gospel epidemic in the United States, taking the words of the Bible and contextualizing them to this American culture that worships leisure, that worships money, that worships um, health, and saying, yeah, if God is shining his face upon you and if he is favorable towards you, you will not taste poverty. You won't taste health issues. Mm -hmm. And that's the super slimy, like poisonous part of this not knowing God. Because when we fill in the blanks of who God is, we're worshiping a God, first of all, that doesn't exist. Second of all, that doesn't save. Third of all, committing a pretty grievous offense against the one who has chosen to reveal himself in this world, in this word, in the way that he wants to be revealed and to say things about him that aren't true, that's the last, that's the last thing I want to do. The last thing I want to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, we're, I think Paul Washer says, like, in the absence of true knowledge of God, we're always going to fill in the gaps with something false. Yeah. Um, that's just our nature. That's it's what we're, um, I think a good way to say it is that when Christ promises that those who seek me will find me, like, what a beautiful promise to us. Yeah. But so often we stop seeking when we think we've found something that we like. Um, and it's not that these people are continually seeking truth and trying to, to, to wrestle out their salvation. Um, it's that so often they stop seeking because they think they've found something that they like. Um, and that's just, that's not how you seek out the gospel. Um, it's in humility and trying to desperately learn what is true about God and worship him rightly. Kind of the next talking point I was going through um, is just about the goodness of scripture. I think it's good to kind of parse out what it is that is good in scripture and why is it good for us? Um, so that was the first point is that first question. Um, so Psalms talks about the goodness of the word of God, probably more than any other book in the Bible. It's obviously the longest book in the Bible, which contains the longest chapter in the Bible, um, which unironically is primarily dedicated to how good scripture is. Mm. Um, but there's, there's also a lot of other stuff in Psalms. So I was just going to read some verses and kind of go through um, what makes David so confident that scripture is good to him? So the first one is Psalms 1, 1 and 2. Um, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So where's David getting this from? Like, why is he so confident that this is a true statement that he's saying? Well, he gets it from scripture and from example that he's seen in scripture and the history of Israel that now he's the king of or will be the king of or, you know, after it's out. Um, so in Deuteronomy 6, 1 and 2, and then 6 through 9, I just kind of parsed them together. It says, now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded you to teach, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess and that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson and all the days of your life, 
and all and that your days may be prolonged. And these words which I commanded you to today be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes or like a plate between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. So that, that means to be saturated in this scripture, in his commands, in his word, in his statutes. And that oftentimes some of these are hard, but that doesn't take away from how good they are for us and how good they are to us and how good God is to us by giving us them. Um, and so that's, that's part of it. The other part in Psalm 33, 4 says, for the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. So David had seen in the scriptures that all that God said would come to pass. In the Pentateuch, primarily what David would have been reading, God accomplished all that he promised to the Israelites. And then obviously what's left in Christ and the rest of his prophecies came true. God's word was his declaration of his faithfulness, his promises, his goodness, and his protection for those he loves. And David would have read all of that um, and obviously would have been confident in it. But the reason for David's confidence in God is because he knew and studied the word. The word fed his soul when his heart and body were so stricken with anxiety and grief at being hated by his nation and his former king who was now chasing him down. Um, everything around David in that current moment would have been the opposite of what he knew to be true about God. And often kind of the structure of a lot of David's Psalms are that it's not a complaint, but it's a plea for help or a cry for mercy or a cry for forgiveness or protection. And then the second half of Psalm, of the Psalms that whichever one he's doing at the time are just statements of truth about God. And like that brings so much peace to his soul because he knows that God has been faithful in the past because of how he studied the word. Yeah. And then Obviously, I mentioned that Psalms 119, the longest psalm, and it's largely dedicated to the word. So these are just like kind of a few snippets, which I really loved. Um, so verse nine says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Then Psalm 10 or 119, 10. Uh, With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments because I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, and 18, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. 89, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And then 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. And so all of these things are, are things that David firmly believed, number one, because of what he read in scripture and what he saw happening through Abraham and all the rest of the Pentateuch. Um, but secondly, that he'd experienced them, that this word had given him peace in the midst of his trials. Um, and so just in a practical matter, the word is good to us because it brings us peace that we can have confidence in what God says is true. And then kind of the second part of this um, is what scripture tells us about itself. So why is it good to study? So just like the psalmist says, the word gives wisdom. Those who study it and learn it and apply it are given wisdom through it. Um, and how better to live our lives than by the words of God? Um, I was listening to a, a Piper sermon um, and in general Piper fashion, he's getting pretty intense and um, starting to yell truth at me and I'm crying and, and all of that. And, um, but one of this, he's like, how long are you actually dedicating to scripture? Um, I think there was a statistic a couple of years ago that most pastors spend about 15 minutes a week preparing their sermon. Wow. Um, but in, in just study of scripture, number one, that's scary that that's, you know, 
what a lot of people are being fed by. But number two, like as as a priest, as part of the priesthood, you know, not pastors, but us personally, individually, what responsibility we have to study scripture on our own. Like if we really think that like on our desk, we have like the words of God, then how seriously are we taking that? Mm-hmm. And like, what a privilege to have access to that. And what a grace that Christ has given that to us and sought to preserve it and sought to organize it, that we can study it diligently. That sort of thing really should change how we live and how we study scripture. Like Christ says, um, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by the very words of God. He says that in response to the devil um, when he's being tempted in the desert. Um, it's not It's not just that the scripture is good for us. It's necessary for us to live. I love that at the uh, at the end of Christ's life, he is literally quoting scripture. I was reading the passage in Mark earlier this week, Mark chapter 15 of Christ's crucifixion. And he quotes Psalm 22 about mm-hmm. um, a man who is forsaken by God saying, obviously, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that point, the father was not looking on him in support. He had forsaken Christ. And even in the face of that, he's like holding to the lifeline of scripture. Mm. And it just oozes out of him because he can't help it because it's like, it's who he is. It's who God is. God is revealed in his word. And just a bit of a side note, I was floored at how painful that must have been. And I know we talk about it all the time in the church, but I feel like we can never talk about it enough Mm. about Christ going through anything without the father, the entire ministry he has on earth. He is calling back to his dad, calling back to the father. I I'm only doing what he sent me to do. And then in the hour of God forsaking him, he is on his own and he holds the scripture. He's holding the scripture. And the fact that for the rest of my life, because God, forsook him, no matter what I go through, I can always go back to the prayer of like, God, just, just be with me. Can you help me, Lord? Can you help me? I can imagine being crucified. I can't imagine Mm -hmm. being crucified without praying. (laughs) God, can you help me? And knowing that he's not up there helping Mm -hmm. me, that is just remarkable. It's it's a little side note, but I was just, again, floored at how even when God looked away from Christ, he was holding fast scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, that passage is like, it's one of the most prolifically covered and still misunderstood kind of passages because like as, as humans, first of all, not really getting the Trinity in general, like we have doctrinal statements that are true about the Trinity. Um, you know, like uh, Nicene Creed and, and things like that. Council of Trent, like these are, these are statements about the Trinity that we can grasp to, but also not fully understand. But then another layer of that, how the Trinity you know, in some respect had separated itself or had forsaken itself as one being. Um, Yeah, that's not a truth that we can grasp, but it's definitely a sorrow we can recognize Um, and a Mm -hmm. sacrifice that we can, that we can obviously look to as just another layer of the depth of Christ's loves for us. Um, And the depth of Christ's dedication to his own glory, um, that he would do something so contradictory yet so good in that act. Yeah, definitely. I think what you said was about um, Christ's ministry being marked by prayer and scripture. So true. And like those two are probably, probably the largest pillars of Christ's ministry. And then, you know, fasting and caring for the poor, 
caring for the needy, like James says, visiting orphans and widows and healing the sick. Like these are all our tenants of Christ's ministry um, that we're commanded to follow, um, but commanded to follow through scripture. And so like, that's the lens with we, we have to grasp a lot of this sort of thing. Definitely. Um, in kind of mimicking Christ's ministry and his example, um, if we were wise and we wanted to be kind of protected from being tossed about by our own emotions and, and doubts and fears and anxiety, to shirk those, we have to really cling to the wisdom of Christ and through faith in him and in scripture and understanding that these things are true. Um, so I think James uh, James 1, 5, and 8, kind of, that was a, or 1, 5 through 8, was one of the verses I wrote down. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Um, and so often that unstable in all his ways describes who I am and who people are in general. Um, so often we're driven to doubts and fears and anxieties. Um, and left to our own devices, that's what we kind of come to an end to. But like Christ, even in like the depth of the most intense sorrow that any being could feel, he still grasped his scripture as his truth, like David, as an image of Christ. Like, and we should follow that example. So like I said, kind of likewise being confident in scripture, not just as a concept, but of the words of scripture and what it teaches and really digging into that. Um, we're confident in what we believe. Just like our hearts are so fickle, so are the philosophies of man, kind of constantly changing, critical of everything and leading to a separation of unity with Christ. Um, that's really only found by following scripture. So Colossians 2, 8 through 10 says, uh, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Um, I think that that last phrase is really important. Head, that Christ is the head of all rule and authority. That's so important for our understanding of theology. How, how are we to serve Christ as the head without understanding what he would have us do? How do we obey him without knowing his commands? And how, how would he have us live? Um, our life really in this aspect should be a byproduct of what we understand about him and the, our theology. So again, that authority that we find in scripture is really important. Um, kind of a fun example of that is when Christ preached on earth, he constantly emphasized the gospel um, or in his gospels that his authority wasn't from himself as a man. So God or Christ being fully man, um, he could have come to earth and and kind of just preached eloquently and said that all of this was from him, um, that he had kind of thought this up, like a lot of philosophers do. I mean, that's that's what most philosophers do, that I thought this up from my brain, and that's why you should kind of um, praise me for it. Um, but Christ was always saying that this was from God and the will of God as his father, and that he was constantly submitting to what he knew to be God's will. Christ says, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but from the father who sent me, he himself has given me a commandment, 
what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Um, and so, too, we should follow that same example. Like, we, we can't cling to anything that we think of God, of our, own, of our own kind of thoughts and feelings and emotions. Like, those have their place, definitely. Like, how we relate to God as our father, as our brother, as our sacrifice, as our king. All of these kind of well up in us emotion that we love God and, and like, that's right, that's good. Um, but the foundation for that and what will, what will judge us at the end as Christ is how we understood and how we used his word and, and obeyed it, not in terms of works, but how we had faith in Christ and how that faith brought obedience through us mm-hmm. for our justification. Um, so then kind of the, the remaining question I had at the end um, was then how did Christ know the will of God? First and foremost, he understood scripture. He was intimately familiar with it to the point of the, like, uh, the head teachers in Israel being um, the Pharisees at that time. Um, They didn't understand how he could know so dang much. Like, how does this guy from Bethlehem in Galilee know more than we do about scripture? And he can speak so authoritatively. And that, that phrase, he spoke with authority, that's kind of like marveled at in a lot of the gospels by both lay people and the Pharisees. Um, So it should be fairly obvious that Christ was familiar um, considering he's part of the triune Godhead um, and conservative Christianity affirms that the Old Testament is also inerrant and spoken by God. But no doubt Christ was familiar with scripture because he studied it. Um, it's coupled importantly with the amount of time that he spent in prayer, obviously in communion with God, like he gleaned God's will from prayer, but rooted in what God had said about himself and what Christ had said about himself. Um, yeah. So John seven fourteen through 19 Um, is kind of the last piece of scripture I'd had. It said, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? So that doesn't mean that Christ had never studied. It means that Christ had never studied in the synagogues. So he'd never been with the Pharisees and studied scripture like they had. But Jesus answered them, it says, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. So what Christ is doing is basically, I mean, in a very real way, throwing their learning back at them. The Pharisees at that time were a great example of how I think it's in Psalms or uh, maybe it's Ezekiel. I can't remember. I'm having my Bible card revoked. Um, but it says, uh, it says, their lips praised me, but their hearts were far from me. Um, and that was, that was so true of the Pharisees at that time and so many of us and me at times um, where it wasn't just that they were going through the motions, that they were really studying this and they really were dedicating their lives to a lot of this. Um, but it wasn't written on their hearts. They weren't dedicating their hearts and lives to this sort of loving of God um, and of dedicating their authority and their teaching to God. Um, Yeah, and I mean, Christ using Moses as an example and Moses in Deuteronomy giving the law. um, That is good scripture. That's good word. It's profitable for teaching, like Timothy says, or like Paul says to Timothy. Christ knew the whole of the scripture at that point. Um, and he used it and applied it in a real way to 
serve the will of God. That's how we worship in spirit and truth. And that's how we really use religion and theology to craft our lives into the image of Christ. It's how we work out our salvation in fear and trembling. And it's how we kind of are buffeted against and fortified against our own hearts and the philosophies of this world, um, which are both so fickle. Um, but thank God that he's unchanging. And so too is his word and it's everlasting. Yeah. And these are things we can really cling to um, for confidence and peace and and bolstering our faithfulness and encouraging our brothers. Um, that's That's how we live the Christian life is by the very word of God, like Christ says. So... That's kind of that's what I had. Yeah, thank you, Israel. I wanted to. I want to make a small caveat sure. here at the end. Um, gosh, there's going to be so many people that know so much about the Bible that God does not know. That at the end of the age, when He comes back, they're going to be like, "What we we studied mm-hmm. the Word, we studied we studied your attributes, we studied this and we studied that, but." Their hearts were far from him. He's going to say, I didn't know you. And I think both of us have seen instances where the theological, knowledgeable brain side of the sinner takes people, especially in just in my personal life, I've seen a lot of very theologically based but love-starved mm-hmm. churches just really hurt people and really like push folks from mm-hmm. the gospel. And First of all, that's just an example of people being sinful and not placing your trust in churches, but in Christ. But also, I loved what you said at the end where the purpose of knowing God is not that we should just know things, but that it fastens us to Christ and it holds us to God. And I want to talk about 1 Corinthians for a little mm-hmm. second. Um I read 1 Corinthians 13 the other day. Again, one of the greatest New Testament passages on love. And Paul is addressing the incredible pride that the church in Corinth had concerning prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. And at the beginning, he he starts off the chapter by saying, if I speak in tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The Corinthian congregation, the church in Corinth, had such high views of themselves because they had insight and knowledge, and they had prophecies, and they had tongues, and they had these things that the Pharisees would probably nod at. They'd say, oh, that's great. Like That's exactly what... (laughs) what it's about. But listen, Jeremiah 9, 23 through 24, let not the wise man boast Mm. in his wisdom. Just because you're wise doesn't mean you should boast about it or even that it is valuable in and of itself. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So the one thing I want to really just hammer home at the end of this whole podcast that is celebrating truth and is celebrating knowledge and is celebrating the truth about God, don't boast in wisdom. Don't find eternal satisfaction in knowing true things. Find satisfaction in what Jeremiah talks about, in understanding and knowing God. 
Because if you just have a lot of God wisdom, there are probably a lot of scholars, biblical scholars, that have not submitted to Christ, that have not put their faith in Christ to save them. And they're putting their faith in their knowledge. They're putting their faith in their works. But if you know God, you'll know we'll never get close. And let's examine the word and hold fast the word so that we might cling to God, so that we might trust God, so that we might be saved by God alone, not by the knowledge in and of itself. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the the phrase I kind of started with, how it's it's not a religion, it's relationship. Um, now I said it's both, um, but in the fact that it's both, it it has to be both, where our relationship with mm-hmm. Christ is driven by how we know him. Um, and our, our love for knowing him and growing that knowledge. And the whole point of theology is to know God and, and by that, bring him glory. Um, the, the more I know about God, the more I know to glorify him for. Um, and it's so cool that in his eternal existence and eternal essence, that wellspring of things to glorify him for will never end. And just this snippet of his revelation to us um, it's effective for salvation. It's effective to grow my love for him. And it's effective for all holiness. But in eternity, I'll get to know so much more about him. Um, and I'm so excited for that. And I, I hope that just at least my time on earth studying theology, studying scripture. Um, yeah, like you said, that's going to ever more craft me into the image of Christ until I'm glorified with him in, in heaven. I'm so excited for that. And uh, reading scripture and studying theology makes me more excited every day. Yeah. And seriously, we both want to just encourage you, go read the Bible. Pray that God would reveal himself. Like he's not going to, if you ask him to reveal himself, he's not going to hold himself back from you. Um, Jeez, Israel. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for chatting. You'll definitely uh, hear from Israel again. Um, Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't yet, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, please. (laughs) Whatever you're listening. Um, It really, really helps us out. Let us know who you are, where you're listening from, as well as, you know, topics in scripture that might be helpful to you for us to cover. As always, guys, seriously, go to the Bible, read the text, pray that God might open your eyes to see him for who he really is and let your maker root you to himself. Thanks, guys. See you later. See you later.